Hello there and welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin as always. Lots going on in the world of Minnesota United over the course of the last couple of weeks and indeed ahead. So, first and foremost, Kindra, before we talk about a lot of other things going on in Major League Soccer as well, let's let's focus specifically on Minnesota United, shall we? Um, their latest frustration came at the hands of the champions of Major League Soccer, New York City FC. Before we sort of dive into it, what was your initial takeaway from the home loss against New York City? Well, I think in the midst of the game and then even after kind of thinking about it after the fact, because um, sometimes I feel like I need to do that. Sometimes when you're in it and you're live and you're like trying to break it down in the midst of the game, but then when you go and rewatch it, it actually was very much similar to what my impressions were live, which doesn't always happen. But the fact that it felt like they were, Minnesota United felt like the road team at times. It felt like they were in a defensive shape and NYCFC had the most of the ball, which we all know they like to have possession, but usually when you're on the road, you would think that the home team would find a way to keep a little bit more of it, that they were, felt like there were odd numbers in the middle of the pitch, which they you know made the tactical adjustment at halftime, which helped a little bit. But I think ultimately, like it just wasn't a solid enough of a performance at home I know you're playing the champions in NYCFC, which is, and they are a very good team, and they mm. found their form. I understand all that. They check all those boxes. They have been flying as of late, playing with a ton of confidence since they wrapped up CCL. But for me, and you're coming off that Union Omaha loss, and prior to that, a win at Dallas, which was massive. And I know I talked to Will Trapp in the middle of the week, and he said, look, we need to take the defense that we had against FC Dallas and the offense that we had against LA Galaxy at home and put those together for a complete performance. And it just didn't feel like that was what we got. And I know there were some changes in the lineup based on um, yellow card suspension Mm -hmm. and whatnot, but still the group that you put out there was more than capable of scoring goals, more than capable of getting a win, more than capable of keeping possession and shutting down um, NYCFC. And it just didn't feel like, anything was going to come of it. Um, and it, it was disappointing. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. I know it's losing to a really good team, but these points at home specifically are going to start to where you're going to start kicking yourself towards the end of the season and the second half of the season going, well, and I know, again, it's against a good team. We're not talking about losing to a team that was at the bottom of the table or anything like that. But at home in front of that fan base and that crowd on a beautiful night where some of those guys had not played midweek, it just should have been better. And it was a little bit disappointing knowing the quality of the roster that Minnesota United has. So what did you make of the two players that came into the starting 11 because of those suspensions, as you mentioned, Michael Boxall, Kevin Arriaga, both unavailable. Brent Kalman and Yosef Rosales came in. Uh, How did they fare for you? I had no issues with either of them. I thought I felt like Rosales and Will Trapp were kind of thrown to the wolves a little bit with the way that NYCSC was playing and the amount of responsibility that they had. And to, it just it felt like there was a man up in the middle of the pitch. It mm-hmm. felt like they were outnumbered. And the way NYCFC was playing, it just felt like there was no way that Will Trapp and Rosales were going to be able to cover the ground that they needed to, win the ball back when they needed to, and then also, oh, by the way, transition into some sort of a meaningful attack with possession. And then there was a gap because, you know, and you and I talked about this, maybe it was at halftime, Reynoso was pushed up well high. And we know that they don't want Reynoso checking all the way back into a defensive shape in the middle of his own half. They want him to stay up higher. They want him to receive the ball in a more dangerous position. But in my opinion, you can't necessarily be alongside Robin Lutt. You can't be playing like a two-forward system and then not tucking back to at least cut off a passing lane. I'm not saying you got to tuck back in and win the ball or or necessarily go into challenges and tackles because they want him to be the outlet to get the attack going. But even just sliding in a little bit centrally underneath Robin and in front of Rosales and and Trap allows him to just cut off a passing lane mm-hmm. and just lessen the options that NYCFC has to move forward. So I had no issue with Rosales and and Trap. You could tell they didn't play as much together, but also sure. I think they were numbers down. And Brent Coleman I thought did great. I mean I think they had their hands full from a, a defensive shape. We're talking about who's who's going to be voted on for man of the match, and I thought the whole back line did exactly what they needed to do and held their own. And I, you know, so I can't fault them one bit. And I I didn't have any question about them stepping in in that role either. I didn't hesitate to think that they could get the job done defensively, even though 
you're going against a, a pretty potent New York City attack. There was a change at halftime, which indeed aided Minnesota United in, in what seemed to be the opinion that Adrian Heath shared with you, Kendra, in the sense that they, at times, played like um, New York City FC had an extra man in the centre of midfield. Bongo Kufle Longwane went out, uh, not his greatest opening half display, it's, it's safe to say, but I, I think those critiquing him are a little harsh. I, I don't think he got enough of the ball um, in the opening 45, in my opinion. But what happened was Luis Samaria was introduced, and Minnesota switched to a 4-3-3. Robin Lord was asked to drop into a, an eight role, which he's done on many different occasions for the Finland national team, not perhaps as regularly for Minnesota United, but it's a role we know he can play. Uh, Both he and Rosales were operating just ahead of Will Trapp. It gave Minnesota United the ball a little more, but did they do enough with it? Well, I think actually in going back to Hlongwane's performance in the first half, and you and I talked about this in the run of play in commentary as well, like there was a lot of confusion down that side on the right-hand side defensively because of the way NYCFC was playing and dragging DJ Taylor into this narrow spaces. And then Hlongwane is trying to track back and cover. And then they're trying to break out. It just felt discombobulated with the way that NYCFC was playing down their left-hand side. It felt like they were attacking much more, and no one really knew what to do with the numbers and passing off of players and players getting sucked inside out of position. So I agree with you that I think it wasn't Hwangwane's finest performance, but also there was never really a moment where they had control of the ball in a space where he could continue on and get forward in a purposeful manner where you're at home in the attacking third of the field. I thought the changes tactically made sense to put the extra body in the midfield, but I didn't think that it created the space that they needed to attack. It felt too bunchy to me in the center of the pitch. It felt like too many players that like to suck in and pinch in and be involved. And that made it real easy for a really good New York City defense and midfield to defend in that shape. We all talk about when you defend, you want to be compact, you want to be tight. Well, I think Minnesota United made it a little bit easier because they were so tight and compact. And Kamar Lawrence and DJ Taylor barely had an ounce of energy left in them to make the overlapping outside runs to join in. So if the thought process is for Fragapane and whoever else might be playing, you know, Budanlade came in there as well. Unu was kind of tucking inside. Then you had uh, Amaria up top. You had Robin Ludd. You had Emmanuel Reynoso. I mean, think about that amount of attacking talent right there, Mm. which is there's a ton of it. But they were all in this tight space, and it just made it really easy for one NYCFC player to maybe mark two. Then there's no passing lane. There's no ability to have a tight combo, you know, from a um, combination play in and around the 18. And every once in a while, they would swing it around, and they'd maybe find the wide spaces with Kamar trying to get forward or um, DJ on the other side. But ultimately, I think that the, the tactical change and the substitutions and the shift was right from a defensive shape, but from an attacking shape, it felt a little bit bunchy to me and less room for the the magic of those players to happen and for them to do what we all know that they can do and use their, you know, utilize their individual talents mm-hmm. and connect them as a team to be dangerous going forward. And then all of a sudden, in the last 15, 20 minutes, you get the sense of urgency and this frantic nature. And, oh, my gosh, now we got all these corners and the fans are riling up again. They were just waiting to explode. And, and soccer is a tricky game, and that's what makes it difficult is thinking on your feet, making tactical adjustments in the run of play, in the flow of play, whether it's as a player, whether it's as a coach, whether it's as a staff, whether, however you want to phrase it, however you want to look at it. That's what makes this game fun and interesting and beautiful is that you're thinking on your feet. There are no timeouts. There are no stoppages to say, hey, let's pause and adjust things. This is things that have to be happening on the fly and reading the game. So defensively, I thought that the changes made sense. The, The numbers in the middle seem more solid. But from an attacking perspective, it felt like it hindered them a little bit, the way they played and with the substitutions and the players that were on the pitch. The need is obvious, though, isn't it? Because over the course of the last couple of weeks in particular, we, we've seen perhaps more of an example of it than ever before. And I go back to that LA Galaxy game. I, I go back to that Cincinnati home game. And, and you could even make an argument for this game as well. Minnesota United have a very good roster. Minnesota United are one of the most creative teams in the Western Conference. Minnesota United just needs somebody to put those chances away. And, you know, it feels like we've been talking about this for a bit now, and it's not just about, in my opinion, it's not just about spending $10 million on a player. It's about spending money, or maybe you don't have to spend money, on a player that 
is the right player for the right group in the right system and also maybe being utilized in the right way. And I think sometimes game to game that changes. You know, we talk about formations, we talk about tactics, we talk about talent, we talk about even just how is that specific game going? Do you need to change based on your opposition, but also just the way your group is playing in the moment at that time? So I don't think we've seen Luis Amaria score goals. We saw it the first time he came around. We've saw him, we've seen him do it overseas. We've seen him do it in the first couple of games when he was back here. We know the kind of a player he is, know where he likes the ball, and they know the style he likes to play. We've seen Adrian Anu score goals in other leagues around the world, overseas, and even score goals here with Minnesota United when he first came on. And there's there it's there. There's talent there. There's quality there. There's finishing ability there. So how do you get what you need to get out of the players you have now Well, you don't have another option? I mean, yes, they've been sliding Robin Lud in there, and we talk about right. every team is always looking for a quality number nine, no doubt. Mm. And you and I have talked about this, and there's a million – quality number nines around the world. And then they all probably, a lot of them probably have a hefty price tag. <laughs> but also at the same time, you've got to find a way to get the most out of the players that you have in the moments that you need them. And some of it, I, I've just noticed a completely different body language in Luis Amaria. As far as co- confidence when he's just ha- a first touch mm-hmm. and just decision-making. And, and Adrian has talked about this, Adrian Heath, overthinking. I just want them to play. I just want them to play. I don't want them to think too much because so much of soccer is just doing and it's feel it's instinct it's reaction you you're here for a reason we've brought you in for a reason because we know your quality so yeah I mean of course every club's looking for a number nine and or, or just somebody who will finish their chances and be available for chances be in the right spot to finish a chance whatever you want to say We've talked in the past about Robin just sort of being consistent in that manner. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to get, what's the word, like flustered flustered when he's missing chances or whatever the public might be saying or what mm-hmm. people are saying on Twitter. I mean, I remember when he first came on, came here, and it was midseason. He'd just come off a beach somewhere. He was on the holiday, and it took him a while to get find his groove, didn't score a goal that second half of the season. And then the next year, he lit the world on fire. So mm-hmm. he doesn't seem to get flustered. He kind of just stays even keeled. He knows and is confident in his ability. But I do think that DP tag that the club and I should say the league puts on players changes things for some players mentally. And I think they feel in maybe an undue amount of pressure because of what somebody else has, you know, deemed the right way to tag a player, to label a player. Mm. Um, But ultimately, they I think Anu and and Amria can score goals. They can finish chances. They can, we just need to get them going. And Adrian Heath, having scored goals, plenty of goals in his career, knows what it's like when you're in a drought as a forward, or maybe you're lacking a little confidence or, you know, how that can change your, your mindset. And how do you get out of that rut? You score goals and you find some consistency and I think it's there, but yes, would it, would it be nice to have an additional number nine that you know is going to put the ball away? But how do you know what that is when you bring them in? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, we have seen Luis Samaria score goals uh, in the past. Uh, and I'm not just talking about here, as you mentioned as well, he did exceptionally well at Liga de Quito in, in Ecuador. I was working last week with a Velez Sarsfield fan, mm. and uh, they remember him very fondly for scoring a couple of goals and doing well. Uh, he was a bit younger back then, but did well when he, when he came on and scored a couple of goals. Uh, and they were very fond of him. So what is it? Like, why has it not... I mean, we, we must also point out that we're only a third of the way through the season. There's still a lot of football to be played, and this can change very quickly for somebody like Luis Samaria. But why has it not perhaps worked out as well as many would have hoped? Why has it not perhaps been as good as many perhaps expected so far for Luis Samaria? I think some of it's service, just the quality of the service that he's getting. He's a player that likes service in the box, and we saw him a couple times um, in the second half of that game when he was put on up top. You know, that some balls that were coming in and he can lay it back to whoever, whoever's playing underneath and then that player plays it out wide and then that player whips it in and he gets on the end of something or he makes a near post run. He's very smart in his movement. And I don't know that he's had that opportunity to finish in those kind of chances, to be put in the best position to be successful in those moments. And I do, I'm a firm believer that confidence is massive. Mm. And when when a player is playing and they feel confident and they feel that the the people around him have confidence in him. And even if he misses a chance or a chance goes beckoning or he didn't get on the end of a cross, next time they all feel like he will get there the next time and he's given another opportunity. So for me, I think some of it is tactical. 
but also in, in how he's getting on the end of things and the service that he is getting or not getting. We've had a change in outside backs. We have a, you know, a rotation in some wingers. There's been some movement, some changes there. And essentially, um, maybe he's not clicking with, with Reynoso as much as I thought maybe he would because I know they were really looking forward to playing together. But ultimately, I, I, I just noticed a, a massive change in his body language and his demeanor when he steps on the pitch, when he comes off the pitch, when he... Uh, does or does not play a ball in the right spot when he maybe fumbles it in his feet a little bit. He's just not as clean and confident and assertive in his movements and his decision-making. And I think whatever's going on in his head is playing into his physical play, and it's affecting whether or not he can be effective, aside from the, all the tactical things that we just talked about, getting mm-hmm. the quality service that he needs. But even to get it to the service, he's got to have the quali- the confidence and the touch to bring it down, to play it out wide, to make the right decision. Do I pass? Do I dribble? Do I shoot, you know, maybe forcing it too much? There was a couple times in the game on Saturday where he, you know, he tried to shoot the ball where maybe he should have passed it. Just different things like that where you just have to do and not think so much. And I think his head might be getting in the way just a bit. I'll be honest with, with Luis Amaria mm-hmm. because I, I genuinely agree with you in the sense of I think he can score goals in this league. I really do. From what I've seen so far, in my opinion... I think he's playing with his back to goal too much. Um, and that, at times, is a modern-day requirement for, for most centre-forwards now. My assumption is, and I could be completely off with this, but my assumption is is because that allows Reynoso someone to play off. Minnesota United now often play through the centre of the park because of Reynoso. No doubt they still have options out wide and they still encourage the fullbacks to to manoeuvre forward and be involved for sure. But they don't go as wide as they as they used to in those those first couple of years. And, and every time I saw Amaria scoring goals when I was aware of him playing in South America prior to his arrival at Minnesota, the one thing that he did very well was, was he played off the shoulder very well. And, and what I mean by that is, is he towed the line very well and he made these near post runs across the centre half in between the right back and the centre back or the left back and the centre back. And he was able to get at the near post and the far post. I think that there was a time in the game against New York City where at one stage he dropped back so deep and I guess sometimes that happens. But he, he, he then found himself in the, uh, on the left-hand side of, of the, the field, and I thought to myself, well, where, where are you going with this? You, you need to be inside the box. You need to be that, that predator waiting for the service. Um, I just wonder if um, him playing with his back to goal is, is hindering him a little more. And, and as I say, I, I, I could be completely wrong with this, but, but I wonder is this to, to allow Emmanuel Reynoso somebody to play off of it? And if that's the case, I understand why that's happening but I'm not entirely convinced it's beneficial to Luis Amaria. But also, I think, to your point, when Reynoso wants someone to play off of, that could also mean slipping a perfectly paced through ball. I mean, I remember the, when Luis Amaria first came here, and he would toe that line perfectly, and he'd kind of take that sideways angle. He's not back to goal, but he's not facing up. And he's maybe stretched. He's gone between a center back and an outside back, and he can time that run perfectly, and he can almost point to where he wants that ball slipped in behind to make the two center backs question who's going to step to the ball, who's going to stay with the player, and sneak in there. And all he has to do is tap it one time. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a powerful shot. He's not shooting from 22 yards out. And so I think Reynoso is, has the ability to play that ball in. And so when I think of even play off of, it doesn't necessarily have to be like I was first describing, where it's a long ball in, he drops it back mm-hmm. to Ray, it goes out wide. But I wonder if it's just a little too crowded in and around the 18 because Luis doesn't have those spaces between the outside back and the center back to even go off in that tiny bit of space, not out wide, but to find the run, to stretch it a little bit, to get in behind because now you've got players that are cutting in. Fragapani yep. cuts in. Hongwane goes a little bit more long, but ultimately he's looking to join in and run across the back line. Robin Lud does the same thing when mm-hmm. he joins in on the attack if he's in that wing space. So where is Amaria going to find that space to get a through ball to him if everybody's kind of collapsing centrally? So I agree with you. I think that Luis has goals in him, and I think that he has the ability to be really smart in his runs and play off the shoulder and, and time his runs well. And I don't know if it's the product of the players that he's on the pitch with or if it's the product of the way the team is playing now because Reynoso is more than capable of slotting a perfectly paced, perfectly timed, perfectly weighted through ball so Luis could just get his right foot on it and tap it in with one foot and one touch and not even have to think twice about it. And that's when you see the joy in Luis Amaria. 
And I think Reynoso, too, because he enjoys finding those passes. You know, a lot of times no other player can. As you say as well, I think confidence is certainly playing its part as well. I don't think I've seen a centre-forward in a long time that needs a goal as much as Luis Amaria does. That's been a consistent theme for Minnesota United this season, no doubt. But what have you made of the the campaign as a whole? We're we're just over a a third of the way through it now. Minnesota United find themselves ninth in the Western Conference. Is that where you expected the Loons to be? Or did you expect them to be higher? Did you expect them to be lower? I expected them to be higher, but I also know it's a long season. We're a third of the way through. And there's also some teams that have crept up there that I maybe didn't expect to see. And Mm -hmm. some teams at the bottom that I didn't expect to see as Seattle has, you know, started to climb after CCL. And of course we talk about Portland having their struggles and, um, Colorado sitting below the line, well below the line. So Kansas I think City as well. Kansas City. I mean, that's like, a, I mean, they're below San Jose. That's saying a lot right now <laughs> for Kansas City. But um, I think that, so there's a lot of surprises for me right now. And the only reason I say that about Minnesota United is because we know the quality of this roster and this group. And there's some certain like pieces of this puzzle that are just Guys that are reliable and you can count on. Did I know that Dane St. Clair was going to be the starting goalie at this point? No, I didn't. You know, I assumed. But I knew that whether it's Tyler or whether it's Dane, this team was going to be in good stead from a goalkeeping perspective. And then you go right in front of them. Boxel and Debassi healthy? No problem. And then you also have a Brent Coleman that you can plug in. The outside backs were a question mark. I wasn't sure about Kamar Lawrence coming off of, um, you know, some time off and not having really played with TFC and, and joining in. I wasn't sure what to make of him. He's been fantastic. O'Neal Fisher, I assumed a veteran um, player that could contribute and be some depth. I didn't know Ronald Montaner was going to miss most of the season thus far, but DJ Taylor has been fantastic. So there's a lot of unknowns, but then there's a lot of knowns up the spine. Will Trapp, Emmanuel Reynoso. Um, we talk about uh, Ariaga. We knew that he had been highly touted, and he's been more than even expected. And then yes. you go up top, and I just assumed between Luisa Maria and and um, Adrian Anu, there would be goals to be had. Fragapane is creative on the left. Robin's consistent on the right, can score goals. I thought and assumed that this team would be higher in the standings than they currently are because of the expectations for this club and the quality of the roster and um, those core pieces that you think would just be a driving force to get things done when things are hard and when there's injuries or illnesses or international duty or suspensions. And so I just, I, I know they're just barely out of the playoff position, but I expected them to be fourth or fifth consistently, maybe fifth or sixth, mm-hmm. sixth consistently, not dropping below um, as much as they have in this first third of the season. How about you? Uh, well, I was going to say, I should correct myself first and foremost. Minnesota United currently eighth in the Western Conference. I think I said ninth earlier on. Um, 18 points on the board. Houston Dynamo, with the same amount of points, find themselves in seventh. Um there's only a six-point gap between Minnesota United in eighth and Austin FC in fourth. We, we were praising Austin FC earlier this year as, as to how well they've done. Um, and it, it, it seems as though, had and, it, and it's very easy to say this now, but when you go back to that game against the Galaxy, had Minnesota United have taken the chances, if you, you go back to the game against New York City FC, had Sean Johnson not have made those spectacular saves at the end, points would have been on the board and it would have looked a lot more healthy for Minnesota United. And that's all true, but I'm sure there's a lot of other teams that could say the same thing Absolutely. about a lot of the results, and I think that, unfortunately, that's why we play the game. But I think your point is is that the West is so tight, mm. and it is going to remain this tight until the end of the season. I mean, I feel like even the last couple of years, the, the major drop-off we usually see is maybe between the last two spots in the West, and there's a massive gap where it's just insurmountable. But I'm not sure about this year because – there are teams up above this line that we maybe didn't expect to see up above this line or at least in the position they're in. I mean, Houston somehow has found a way, and I know they're just sitting in that seventh position, and they're tied on points with Minnesota United, but you talk about another co- coaching change. You talk about a, a change in some roster pieces, trying to learn a new system, a new style of play, a new way of doing things. Same with FC Dallas, and they're sitting in second. So I think that everybody's going to face some sort of adversity the quality of depth of every team is going to be tested. We can talk about money spent or not spent. I don't think Real Salt Lake spends a whole lot of money. Sure. And they are sitting in third. You know, so I think it's it's all just going to be a grind for everybody in the West. It is every single year. And now you've got some players that have been added to this puzzle um, that are proving themselves time and time again. And I'm not saying that those teams are all going to be there at the end. But right now, that's where they are. And I think everybody's aspiring to stay in that, you know, above that line and, 
man, I mean, what do we come back from this international break? And then all of a sudden we're nearly into July and the games are coming thick and fast again. And some of these guys are going to have their eyes on the actual World Cup in November if they're included in it. And I mean, league-wide, not just for Minnesota United. And we'll see how they come back from the break. And then we've got, what, three games at the end of June, not including Paderborn. We've got so many You know, on June 11th. (laughs) But all of a sudden you look at 19th, then it's 25th in Miami, then it's midweek in LA, and then it's back home again. So... There is no real time to dwell on it, but really kind of pull up the bootstraps and figure it out and find a way to be consistent. And I think that's what everybody would ask. The great teams are usually consistent, and that's why those teams find themselves at the top at the end. Well, we will concentrate on Major League Soccer after the break. Before we do head out, though, Kay, um, I've got to ask you, you mentioned the international break, and we will focus on the the United States men's national team as as well as a a litany of subjects around Major League Soccer after the break. But psychologically, but more so physically, you could flip those two around, I guess. Regardless, how much do Minnesota United need this international break? I think they need it. For both of those reasons and probably equally. Mm. Um, And it's a tough task for the guys that have to go away and play for their national teams, which that's a different challenge. But I think even mentally that's a bit of a break for them, not not that going to play for your national team is an easy task and that's a whole different kind of pressure and stress, but just a getting of the way, a changing of scenery, and then the guys that stay here and are not being called in, um, I think physically – is a good week to really recuperate. I know when I talked to DJ Taylor last week, he was like, one more game, <laughs> one more game, Go, going into the weekend knowing I got to get through one more game and then I can get some recuperation. But he was also going to go home and visit his family for a couple of days, his mom and his brother. I mean, that in and of itself, on top of the physical, sometimes it's probably more than mental and emotional. It's all included, and I think it's going to be massive for this group. Coaching staff included, I'm sure. I'm sure everybody yeah. feels the same. It's it's a grind. Absolutely. Um, okay, we'll take a short break. You're listening to The Sound of the Loons, presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Injury takes you out of the game. It's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Welcome back into the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Right then, let's focus on Major League Soccer, shall we, Kendra? And um, there have been some interesting developments over the course of the season thus far, but none more so than the last 24 hours, really. Miguel Angel Ramirez is a name that has been on the tips of many tongues over the course of the last day or so. And if you're unaware of who that is, it was the Charlotte FC head coach. And after a good start in their expansion season, he was let go. There's been a lot of suggestion as to why. There's been a lot of speculation as to why. But I must admit, after looking at how well they've done so far, we all know how difficult it is in an expansion year. But with a record of 5-8-1, and one, they are themselves eighth in a difficult Eastern Conference, just two points outside the playoffs. I find this utterly bizarre. Yeah, and I think what's even more bizarre is sometimes when you don't get a clear-cut statement or an answer, it leads to more speculation. And if you can't truly answer the question of why a a coach was let go, was it the right decision? And I'm not saying it wasn't. And he basically said, I think it was the sporting director, basically said, we had to do it. We had no choice. So there may be a whole litany of things behind the scenes that we don't know Mm -hmm. and that we don't necessarily need to know. Maybe there's some sort of investigation going on. Maybe it's a private matter, whatever. But I do think it's going to seem bizarre, and it did yesterday when it happened. And to your point, because of the results. But this may be one of those instances where whatever was occurring, whatever was happening, whatever vibe was going on there, or if there were actual situations or instances or communication, you know, we saw a little bit of that with, remember, with FC Cincinnati, where, 
you found out after the fact, if if that trumped the results, then I guess maybe kudos on on the group for making that choice that it's not always all about winning. It's not always all about just getting the results. If whatever was going on internally and with that coach and or whoever was involved, or maybe it was just something the coach had done that didn't have anything to do with players. And again, this is just speculation. I think that I guess was the right decision at the right time for this group. And we'll have to see how they come out of it. You know, I had somebody tell me <laughs> recently, y'all got to hang on to your hat when you're going into a FIFA break <laughs> for some head coaches, because you start to question if this is going to be the time, you know? And so it's interesting, not interesting, not funny, like, haha. but that is that a real thing? Have you noticed that in your years of covering soccer that all of a sudden when there's a break that's coming about or in certain leagues there's pressure on or not or and I just think about this like they just played Seattle correct yes I just watched that game mm-hmm. I was actually pleasantly surprised with the way they seemed to boss a little bit of that game they got the early goal they ended up losing but ultimately I was like wow this Charlotte team looks like they've got something here they, yeah. they're playing together and cohesive but clearly there was something um that was going on that we are not aware of I must admit it it does reek of backroom and, and front office issues because David Tepper, who's the, the owner uh, of, of Charlotte FC, this is the, the third member of staff that he's gotten rid of since the expansion team started. It just doesn't feel right. And and like I said, look, there, there could be something behind the scenes that we're completely unaware of and, and, and this had to happen, but um, it just feels slightly bizarre. With Miguel Ankel Ramirez, I remember when he was first announced, and, and I understand he's not really a name that people knew in this country, but... There was a time when the Spaniard was in charge of, of a team in Ecuador called Independiente del Valle. And when he took over, they were a good team. They were they were not bad at all, but they weren't challenging for the title or anything in, in Ecuador. And he went and, and, out of nowhere, had a good season with them. And they went and won the, the Copa Sudamericana, which, for those unaware, is, is the equivalent of the UEFA Europa League in South America. They had no right to go and win that title, but they did, under him and under his guidance. He got a big job in, in Brazil at Internacional. Um, and in, in Brazilian football and South American football, you, you are fortunate if you get six months at the helm. They are ruthless down there, and um, it's incredible how quickly managers are relieved of their duties. So he was unfortunately subject to that um, and was let go far too early. When he was appointed, I thought, this is a fantastic addition because he's at the time he was 36. Yes, he's got a lot to learn, but I thought this was a, a wonderful opportunity for Charlotte to really build something and have almost like a, a legacy-type signing, you know, in the sense of give him 10 years, he's still only 46, and he could very well turn things around completely for you. So I, I thought it had all the tools and all the making to be something really, really special and really good. Like I said, we, we don't know what's happened behind the scenes. We may never know what find, what, what what's happened out uh, behind the scenes, and we can only hope that everything is okay at Charlotte FC, but it doesn't look good. It looks very, very strange. Well, and I think part of it is the other as you said, the other departures that have happened yeah. with the expansion club. So two CEOs now, you know, the head coach, and I believe they've even had some rotation in some of the, their other front office staff mm-hmm. or, you know, PR people. I, I forget what it was, communications maybe. But I, I just, it just feels like maybe there's something else going on there from a front office perspective and it's trickled into the sporting side of things. Because um, I'm looking at the stat here. 16 points through 14 matches, six most at the stage of an inaugural campaign for any expansion club. So of the 13 expansion teams since 2010, there's 16 points through 14 matches as six most at this point in a season Mm. of their first season. So not necessarily results driven. I know that the the sporting director was asked, you know, if he had lost the locker room and he basically said no comment. So again, who knows? There are a lot of really smart people that dive way deeper into MLS and report on this than, than I do. And it will be interesting to see what comes out or if he himself ever has any sort of a statement or something comes out, you know, much like we've seen with some of the Brad Friedel comments. Yeah, we'll, we'll steer away from that, <laughs> shall we? Brad's a friend of the podcast. Let's. Uh... Well, of course he is. But I'm just saying he did an interview and all of a sudden, sure. you know, a couple of years removed and sometimes more information comes out. So who knows mm. if this coach um, will want to share some information if he feels his name is being drugged through the mud. But Either way, I mean, all I ever hope for is that the players and the other people that the coach has affected or these decisions affect find a way to come out the other side of it in in a proper, better manner. And I don't know that anything was his fault per se, but those are the guys. They're going out there every day and they're just performing. And for the most part, it, it seems like they're putting their full effort in. And that's a lot of times all you can ever ask of, of the players and these guys. So 
We'll see what happens, but I'm sure a lot more will continue to come out throughout the week. And we're in the midst of a break, but all these writers are probably together covering the U.S. men's national team that oftentimes cover MLS. So they're probably all <laughs> having their little yes. side meetings going, did you see, did you hear this? I heard that. They've all got their sources and they're usually pretty accurate. Absolutely. Discussions at the hotel bar, <laughs> I think will be very, very intriguing. Uh, we'll talk about the U.S. men's national team here shortly, but what, one of the subjects I wanted to cover, Kay, was uh, an Italian legend allegedly seems to be coming to Major League soccer, uh, Giorgio Chiellini, who has been at Juventus for, goodness me, an eternity, uh, over 500 appearances, I believe, for uh, the Italian giants, um, reported that he's joining LAFC on an 18-month contract. Now, usually a signing with this would be greeted nowadays, I think, in Major League Soccer with negativity because... He's 37. Major League Soccer, I know, have tried to get away from this for a long time. But there are certain players, I think, that are still extremely valuable regardless of their age. And straight away, my mind goes to Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who was wonderful and just won Serie A with AC Milan. So clearly, age is just a number to somebody like him. Giorgio Chiellini has been spectacular for Juventus over the years. I'm not of the opinion that he's lost a step because of his age, because he was never somebody who relied on pace anyway. He's also just a year ago, won the European Championship with Italy. I understand the, the, the critics this is inevitably going to get because of his age, but I think this is a really, really smart signing because it's not a DP signing, either it's a TAM signing, which I think is absolutely vital when we talk about bringing these kind of players in uh, at this stage of their career. I think it's a, it's a really smart move. Well, and I think it really all depends on the individual. I just don't want to lump everybody in the same group like that this is the place where you know some of these players come as a retirement league and they think they can just come here and coast I mean we've seen enough players that have come over here in their latter stages of their career and they take it just as every bit as seriously as every any step along the way that they've ever had in their career and they have an incredible amount of quality and things that they can contribute still to that team. I remember David Villa. I don't know how old he was when mm. he first came here. Top class. Top class. Came in and gave everything he had. And then even later in his career, maybe when he's, his minutes started to wane, the contributions that you can still give to a club, that you can give to other players, that you can give at training every day, that you can give to younger players. And I have no doubt that if, if Chiellini comes here, the contributions he would make and the qualities he still has. And if he wants to come here and... Um, he's going to continue to drive the quality of this league up and the attention that this league attracts. And then if he comes over here and does all the right things and says all the right things and everybody back home is listening and going, oh, wow, maybe we, sh we should pay attention to MLS. This is the quality league that everybody's talking about, that it is, and that everybody's coming here to not, you know, just fade off into the, the, the sunset here and sit on the beach. Like, actually contribute and bring quality. I think that's everything that he can be. Um, we'll see. I mean, I've 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 read the same things that you have. Is that's a done deal, and mm -hmm. that he's going to be you know coming here to LA in in the coming weeks. But I guarantee there's not a single team or a single player or a single owner in this league that would not welcome a player like that with open arms to just come into the league, even if you're having to play against him when you take on LAFC because of just knowing what that means for the league and the attention it brings and the quality it brings. So um, I'm still waiting to see if LAFC is actually signing Carlos Vela, but. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought his deal was up in like June, but maybe maybe I mis misremembered that. Yeah. But yeah, I think Chiellini is going to be awesome. And if it's true, and if it comes to fruition, and again, another reporter that you know you trust and and can pretty much count on, I think those are the ones that you know. And we'll see. I I don't know. Has anything happened with Messi either? <laughs> I think we felt we felt good about that one, but now I feel like it's kind of quieted down a little bit. Either way, these players bring it on, bring them here. Yes. All for it, no no question. We've seen younger players, high-level players come here, and if they don't come in with the right attitude and they kind of poo-poo the league, hmm. those are the kind of players that they can stay home. But I'll take the <laughs> I'll, I'll take the other guys who are going to want to come here and, and give it their all, and they have that competitive quality edge to them as well. Must admit that that's the main difference I've noticed with players that are um, of, of a certain ilk, but also a certain age coming into Major League Soccer now, is that... Somebody like a, a Chiellini, for example, would have gotten a move just about anywhere across Europe. I'm not going to suggest he would have signed for, for Manchester City or something, but there's plenty of Premier League teams, I'm sure, that would have been interested. There's plenty of teams in Serie A that would have taken him for sure. But the fact he's coming here, I think, says a lot. And um, he, he's not on a big DP deal as well. 
So that, that's the main difference for me is is it, it's no longer that league where players come for, for a payday and if they do, they're caught out very, very quickly. I'm just very excited with the, the Italian mm-hmm. uh, influx all of a sudden with, with Chiellini to LAFC potentially. Uh, Lorenzo Insigne mm-hmm. is going to be at Toronto FC before we know it. it it's going to be great. Marco Verratti to Minnesota United or something. <laughs> you know, who knows? Like, let's, let's just see what happens. Sure. Get it done, Cal. Use yeah. your sources. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's talk about the United States men's national team, shall we? And and we must preface, we're recording this uh, on on Wednesday morning. Mm. So this evening, the United States are playing Morocco in Cincinnati in their first tune-up since qualifying uh, for the forthcoming FIFA World Cup. Um, Zach Steffen had to leave camp because of personal reasons. Georgi Mihailovic, ever so unfortunate, suffered an ankle injury after finally getting the call-up he's deserved for so, so long. Sean Johnson, who we all saw... Uh, this past weekend for New York City FC has replaced Zach Steffen and because Mihailovic was injured so late, the US can't call up a replacement for him. Um, what do we expect him for this game against Morocco and then moving forward, the, the game against Uruguay over the, the course of the next week or so? Well, it was funny. I was talking to my husband about this matchup today, last night. We were having this conversation about what is the schedule? Why do you think they're playing Morocco? Um, and I was kind of thinking, first of all, we never know all the behind the scenes stuff is like what agreements happen with different countries or, you know, what what might go into the decision making and whatnot. But I think ultimately for Minnesota, for Minnesota United, for the U.S. men's national team, it's important that they establish an identity. And you and I were talking about this in the last game. Mm-hmm. And they also find out who can be a part of what they want to be going forward. Because this isn't necessarily, we talk about new players that are coming in that have never had a cap. And all of a sudden, is this the right time to bring players in that have never had a cap? You have a, you have a World Cup that's just a handful of months away. But at the same time, Greg Berhalter has seen a lot of the other guys time and time again. This is an important one to establish an identity, establish some depth, establish some solidity in the group that he wants to throw out there as far as the eleven. And then what is the depth that he's going to look at to go forward and guys that he can lean on, that he can trust, that he knows have a consistency level, but then you also have injuries you're dealing with. We don't know who's fit and healthy. You don't know if McKinney's going to be available. We just talked about a couple guys that are out of camp due to injuries. Matt Turner's still coming, kind of in the midst of coming back. He's been out with an injury, and now he's been back with New England. I know he's going to Arsenal and whatnot. But I think that this is a time for Greg Berhalter to get a confidence boost a health check, a fitness check against Morocco. That's how I see it. You know, find a way. And I'm not saying that Morocco is going to lay over and just, you know, give give away a, a game. But No, because they have some good players. When you look at the roster that, that they've presented as well, it's it's not going to be uh, an easy task for the United States. That The one player that, that stands out to me, as far as I'm aware, he's in the roster, uh, Hakimi, who's arguably one of the best right-backs um, in Europe at the moment with, with Paris Saint-Germain, top draw think and this could be a real issue for them for sure the way that Morocco play in terms of the inverted do you remember that time when Greg Berhalter tried to put um, Tyler Adams into this right back slash central midfield hybrid type thing I'm not suggesting that'll happen with Morocco but they are the the fullbacks are encouraged to move forward and then eventually squeeze in and I'm wondering if because at this stage as well I I wonder where their mindset is as well at what stage are they now in terms Mm -hmm. of right do they experiment you know but for the United States, I, th- I think we, we agree on this in the sense of no doubt you have to experiment. You have to figure out what the best look is. But at some point, you have to establish an identity going into the World Cup, knowing more than likely now, I know the US have still got to wait and see who that fourth opponent is in the group stage. But you know you can at least start to prepare for the other two opponents. I kind of feel like the tinkering has to be nearly done. Mm-hmm. for Greg Berhalter. And I don't mind him bringing in some other guys into a camp and into a rotation that haven't gotten any caps or haven't been pulled in before and haven't seen as much time and maybe they're doing well in whatever league they're playing in. But ultimately, you've got to know by now that you have a certain core group of 11 to 15 guys, let's say, that you're going to lean on and probably, and I'm not saying that you don't have competition in the camp. I mean, you still always want that. But everybody should always know that their position isn't solidified. Their position isn't, you know, indispensable. That they're always fighting for a spot. But at the same time, you're, you've you got to at some point be done with the tinkering and be done with the, I don't know if experimenting is the right word because we know that yeah, you've had some time now and the, the World Cup is literally right here. I mean, I know we're June 1st today. 
But November is going to be here before we know it. It is going to come fast. And I think that at this point, this is a good moment to really know that this is who we're going to lean on. This is the style I want to play. This is the identity, as we've called it, that we're going to have going forward. And yes, it may change a bit your mm -hmm. tactics depending on your opponent. You have to change the way you play. Ultimately, in the World Cup, you got to get the points in the group stage. Just get out of the group. So don't be afraid to change the way you play at times, but you know you have a core group that can do that and be flexible to get the job done because ultimately that is the most important thing is getting out of the group, getting the points, and um, being a little bit flexible. But some of the injuries make me a little bit nervous because you don't – not having or having well, Weston McKinney healthy is a big difference. Not having or having – I don't know, is Gio Reyna going to be available? I saw he was practicing today with Bruce mm -hmm. Dortmund, but is he going to be available come November? You know, so – there are some key pieces there that I think are still question marks, but ultimately, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like we got to be at beyond the tinkering stage. Yeah, um, and look, that there is going to be a period where the United States will have a couple of friendlies and, and more Nations League games mm -hmm. um, in, in September, I believe, uh, and then obviously leading into the World Cup. But the, the likes of, let, let's say, um, Malik Tillman, for example, mm. 18 years of age, mm. um, my assumption is that he's Berhalter has, has brought him in because he sees him as somebody they can use in the future, um, let's just cap him now. Let's cap him and make sure he's American. I understand that. The, the one that I'm, I'm still puzzled with as to why is, is not in the roster is, is Jordan Peefock again. Because for me, and I say this with all due respect, when, when you're playing against a team like England, you have to go direct. I don't see any success for the United States if they try to play in between the lines, if they try to move the ball through the centre midfield. I think you have to go direct. And that's okay, because if, if you, you have more of a chance of getting a result then great, do it. So for me, PFOC has to be the, the centre-forward who starts. And by the way, he scored more than any of the centre-forwards in world football this year uh, as an American. I, I just war I just puzzle, I'm, I'm puzzled as to why he's not in the roster. And my assumption is, is that he'll be in the next one and when that's closer to the World Cup. It's because your sales pitch has not worked, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't, I, I just find it bizarre. But I agree with you 100% in that you got to do what you got to do against the opposition to get the win, to get the points, whatever it might be. And you can't be afraid to get out of your normal shell of wanting to possess the ball and run. I mean, we saw how that worked at Canada. Well, yeah, I mean, you know what, what I mean? Saying, like, like it's, identity. Yes, exactly. But but there's an identity almost within the identity. I mean, Greg Berhalter may have an identity and a style and a philosophy of how he wants to play, but ultimately the most important thing is getting the result. And you have to change. You have to be somewhat flexible depending on the, who you're playing against. Because when you get to that stage, the most important thing is getting out of your group. Because who knows what happens after that? And if we look at the past World Cups and the most successful teams – they all have an identity and they have some pretty ridiculous talent and quality on their roster. But if push comes to shove, they're going to do what they need to do to get the result. And who cares if it's pretty or who cares if it's what you originally thought of along the way or drew up. And I think Jordan Peefock is a great example of that. And, and that number nine position is still something that they are also contemplating Ooh. as we talk about finding a good quality number nine that can finish chances. Isn't an easy task even for national teams. And sometimes it depends on who you're playing against and how you need to play in that game. And is it somebody that at least they have available to come off the bench if he doesn't start a match against a certain opposition? Right. And you're trying to find a goal. So I think that all those things are reasonable. And I can't imagine that somebody in his camp is not telling him those things. And have, he seems like the kind of guy, and I don't know him, but that would take in information. Usually successful coaches are willing to take in good ideas from others and understand that I may not always have the best idea, that there are others and I'm willing to listen to other opinions. Doesn't mean I'll take it. We, we heard Pat Newton say this about Dom Kinnear, remember in mm. our podcast, like I, I take everything from Dom Kinnear. Doesn't mean I use all of it, but I will take all of it knowing the success that he's had. I would assume yeah. that Greg Berhalter is very much that way because to me, your argument about PFOC and maybe some other number nine that plays similarly is 100% valid that you don't have another player like that on the roster. Could he be useful? And is he worth a roster spot going into the World Cup? That's the question. And I understand the, the argument of bringing the likes of, let's just say, Ricardo Pepe, for example, and yeah. Jesus Ferreira. These are players that are going to more than likely be on the roster. I understand that. Um, and, and you can bring them on. Uh, against uh, another Pepe will be on there. I'm really I'm concerned sure. now with where he's at and the fact that he didn't get called in here and he's in a tough spot coming back home. We just saw him in Dallas mm. right when the national team roster came out and taking this mental emotional break. I get he's young, yep. but I've heard others be like, what do you mean you're taking a break? 
The World Cup is sure. a couple months away. So, I mean, I think Pepe's good and he has the quality. He was amazing. Did we crown him the king too quickly? I know you were you were real defensive about that. I, I just don't, like, I think in this country, <laughs> more so than most, and I'm not so, because we do it in England as well, but I think in this country, more so than most, um, that the best example of this was Freddie Adu. Just let the kid play. Right. And, and I, I think it was this very podcast we had said, just let the kid play. I think if he would have stayed here, he'd be fine. But I think selling sure. him for as much money as they did and then him not performing well has well, I mean, hurt him more than if he had stayed here. I know he got out of his comfort zone. He went overseas, yep. all that jazz. But it feels like it's backfired a little bit going into a World Cup year. Could sure. you have waited a year? Uh, possibly, but FC Dallas were never going to turn down $20 million. I know, worth, I know, you know? and I'm not, <laughs> I, I get it. I, I, I totally understand FC Dallas's modus, modus mm-hmm. with that, but. And then also you have to think of it from his point of view as well. What if he breaks his leg next year? You know, and, and, and this move never materialized or something, you know. And look, he's getting a lot of criticism because he hasn't he hasn't done well in terms of goal scoring. I understand that. But Augsburg didn't have a great year either. And people have to understand as well, he's still so young. He's not just going to go and walk into a Bundesliga team like that. He's just not going to. It, that's the, the harsh reality of it. You know, unless you are somebody like a Christian Pulisic, for example, who is top tier, you, you're not going to go and walk into a, a, a European team like that, a, a Bundesliga team, I should say, like I that. Just, it, so it just makes me nervous. I don't know that he's a shoe-in for the U.S. men's action. Maybe he sure, is. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, that's another debate for another day. <laughs> that's a different uh, podcast. Because otherwise we can go on for another hour. <laughs> so let's finish things up here, shall we? Um, so... As we mentioned, the United States playing this evening against uh, Morocco and then on Sunday against Uruguay before the Nations League takes over and there's games against Granada and El Salvador. One World Cup qualifier that Minnesota United fans will absolutely want to keep an eye on. June 14th, 1 o'clock Central Time, Costa Rica against New Zealand. That's going to be fabulous. The reason for this is because, obviously, Minnesota United have their own New Zealand international in Michael Boxall, who is 33 years of age now, Kendra, and I get the feeling he may very well be of the same opinion here. This is probably his last chance to go and play at a World Cup. It's something we want to see for him because he's such a lovely bloke. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, this is a very, very meaningful game, and he wasn't part of the March call-up. He stayed back in Minnesota um, here instead, and I think this is a very important game. This isn't one of those just like random friendlies, like no. oh, let's see what happens and throw some guys out there. This is an important match for both those countries, and specifically for uh, Michael Boxer. We'll see. Maybe he'll be going head to head, center back, center back against mm. Francisco Calvo. That would be fun. Be interesting. Um, so make sure you tune into that on uh, Tuesday, June fourteenth at one p.m. And also, uh, finally, you can tune into one more game in June, June eleventh. Minnesota United hosting Paderborn, and uh, we are broadcasting that game live on Bali Sports North. Before we head out, then Kendra, what are Minnesota United going to get out of that game against Paderborn? I'm assuming it's a good chance to see a lot of different players on the roster. Yeah, and that's one of the only. It's the only game that's during the international break that all these a lot of these starters are still going to be gone. And I think this is an opportunity. We've seen some real, really good stuff from MNUFC too. I mean, credit to head coach Cameron Knowles and what they've been able to accomplish with MNUFC too. And I would guess that you're going to see a lot of those players, or at least a few or a handful mm. of those guys on the roster for the SC Paderborn game. And it's just an opportunity for a club from another country to come here, to be at Allianz Field, and for fans to come and experience it. And uh, and maybe most importantly for some of these players to get some first-team minutes and play against a quality club from another country in SC Paderborn. So I'm excited about it. And the guys that just don't even get that as many minutes. And when we talk right. about how do you stay match fit, um, how do you stay ready? And you, it's it's moments like these where you can step on the pitch against a quality opponent and and have a real a real game. This isn't a scrimmage; it's a real game, so it should be good. Yeah, good chance to come and support some of those players that don't necessarily get the minutes that their efforts deserve. Right then, well, my thanks as always to Kindred D Saint Orbin, our expert button presser Andrea Correa, and of course to you at home for listening. You have been listening to the Sound of the Loons, presented by Alina Health Orthopedics.